Yeah, so uh, too much time on Amazon, clearly, um, trying to get a good ice cube. Um, are you ready to jump in? I'm ready to jump in. All right, let's do it. And welcome to the Pagey Train. Today, I have in the studio with me, Ryan Couchy, um, our director, writer, editor. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, man, it's good to have you back. Um, like I was saying um, before off air, man, I, I get excited about um, interviews like this. These are always fun. Um, yeah, and especially with um, someone like yourself with so many projects on the, on the rise and in progress at the moment. It's great to see. It really is. Oh, thank you. Um, it's good to see... Um, you know, uh, you know, the people among our community um, getting far and getting things done. Um, so, and, and I'm, I guess I'm alluding to uh, grey stains here. Um, uh, so, can you talk a little bit about grey stains? Or? I certainly can talk about grey stains. Oh, okay. Well, uh, just to uh, set the scene, you do a lot of vertical films. So, what, what's the whole idea behind uh, vertical films and grey stains? Well, in one of the good, I guess good yet controversial things to come out of the mm-hmm. pandemic is uh, TikTok. And mm. TikTok cele- as a platform celebrates vertical filmmaking. Um, instead of 16 by 9, it's 9 by 16. Mm. And um, it took me a couple of hours to figure that out when I was do- <laughs> doing a template. But it's really simple when you think about it. It's just reverse. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's 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 just flipping it. Yeah, really. it literally flips. Yeah, yeah. Um, portrait mode as well. well yeah. Is another term for it. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was just a process, a little bit get to get your head around, mm. but um, the process of just applying my filmmaking practice um, uh, in terms of um, the craft of it to the vertical frame uh, to TikTok and finding um, using a couple of the initiatives by uh, Screen Australia and TikTok mm. to really explore that. So in... 2021 mm-hmm. uh screen australia and tiktok um launched the got a minute okay. initiative got a minute being a um looking for one minute pilots mm-hmm. that would then uh that would then um snowball into a into 10 one minute episodes mm. and the I've also had the, the great opportunity of showing all of these uh, vertical films at Man in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they've uh, got a good reception there as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, like just like any of my other microfilms, I mean, it's a lot leaner, mm. one minute. But um, the first one we did was um, Midnight Stories uh, Morgan. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was... Midnight Stories was supposed to... <laughs> I say supposed to. It was a pilot for a series that would um, reacquaint, um, or rather acquaint, mm-hmm. younger audiences with um, urban legends, uh, local folklore. Oh, yeah, so, like our yaoi's and things like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, we've all heard the one about, you know, the killer with the hook in the backseat of the car, and we've all heard of... Um, yeah, they were on the telephone, but they're in the house. They were on the telephone, and which, which you know, surprisingly, they would... Well, non-surprisingly, they would uh, become the basis of a lot of films, so that was became the basis of um, Black the film Black Christmas, mm-hmm. or, you know, the Urban Legend series as mm-hmm. well. Um, but anyway, it was... Um, uh, a way of um, bringing these older stories, but with a slightly modern twist. Mm-hmm. Like, how can you improve on the source material mm-hmm. kind of thing? So we did one. It was loosely based on the Vanishing Hitchhiker oh, yeah? urban legend where um, you pick up 
a hitchhiker who's a ghost. Mm-hmm. And um, we were, you know, then God a Minute only had three spots for finalists. And of course, the three finalists would then go off and then they would uh, pitch the project and um, to a live audience. Mm-hmm. And then they would, uh, the win- they would give um, a decent amount of money for that series to go ahead and mm-hmm. be made. We didn't get to be a finalist that year we were an honorable mention mm-hmm. but it was nice that like um that that was that was um a decent recognition it was recognition and it was um you, you know it was it, it was being seen and like it was still shown mm-hmm. at the um at the pitching um event mm-hmm. but then the next year mm-hmm. um i i always like doing anthology because the great thing about anthology mm-hmm is that they're standalone stories. So it's like, oh, well, if it's a pilot that fails for a um, continuing mm. series, mm-hmm. then at least I get a nice short film out of it with a clear beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. you still get the asset. So right? um, we did kind of a, a spin-off, kind of like a sister series to that, um, called Tales from the Dark Web, mm. which instead of looking at older folklore, we were looking at ones made spec- that emerged specifically from the digital age, the mm. age of social media, mm-hmm. um, you know, the age of uh, chain emails and yeah, yeah. Um, doctored photography and all of that. I remember those chain emails from back in the day. Oh, yeah. yeah and, they were a big thing, yeah. And, you know, which then um, became chain um, statuses on Facebook mm. and uh, Twitter. And Amazing. Yeah. But then we made one, uh, Moira Hill, which also screened at May in the West Man. last last year. And this time we were a finalist. So I went to the pitching event. Yeah. And, um, you know, always the bridesmaid. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, <laughs> you never know. You never know. You never know, man. Um, but you've got to keep entering, keep but making you got, content. You got, but that's the thing. You've got to keep on going. And then the same year. Mm-hmm which now that's the long-winded journey to Grey Stains, but that's yeah. just to give you a kind of a trajectory of... Yeah, well, just before you go into um, uh, Grey Stains, like, mm. uh, so when you make this content, mm. um, because because it's vertical content, portrait content, you don't shoot it that way, do you? Do you shoot it... Oh, I just... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I saw what happened there. It wasn't on camera. <laughs> you got yourself in the water. Um, but do you, do you shoot it vertically or do you shoot it um, uh, uh, in a conventional sense but then crop it? Uh, so we film that. Go like this, actually. Yeah, I'll just go like. <laughs> I just go good. like. I, I got myself really good. That's uh. That's, um, that's a new one for the package. You know. Uh, well, so, well, you know, side effects of um these fantastical <laughs> spherical ice cubes. ice cubes. Um, <laughs> I'll fill you up. I'll yeah, make it fill, easier. Fill, fill me up. I'll fill you up. I'll make it. I'll make it. I'll make it better for Top you. Top me up, Clark. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a new one. <laughs> but um uh no 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 initially I thought I would have to um you know put the camera sideways yeah sideways but we I mean the first time doing it I didn't know how it was going to turn out mm. so we just did the old um you had a monitor and you masked out yeah. either ends of the monitor and then just that just became standard practice I mean probably so easy just to just flip it but Oh, I suppose yeah, but then you need the mount. Um, you need to be able to have the gear to turn. Oh, we've it got with. we've got the additional um head to do that, but yeah. um, it's just like because at the, at that time I didn't know, um, you know maybe this could be a four by three production. Mm-hmm. Of course, then when you 
consider it being anything else but 9 by 16 mm. it gets really interesting because you have to stage and compose your shots yeah, yeah it has to fill for the screen, yeah. 9 by 16 <laughs> bless you thank you um so you get all these people really tight together to make the 9 by 16 work you mm. show that in 4 by 3 or 16 mm. by 9 you're just like what the hell is going on it doesn't here? look like a shot it wouldn't look like it was shot properly no exactly yeah, it's it like really space foreign, yeah. you guys out a bit and yeah, yeah, yeah. The shot and composition would be totally different. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I make mention of it because I, I guess I just want to um, uh, put aside the assumption that this is shot on a phone. This is shot... Uh, like, you, you use normal cameras, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you can... I mean, You can phone. do amazing things with phones, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just, like I said, I'm just applying my usual filmmaking practice to the TikTok format. Yeah, because I'm so impressed by these films because when you look at them, they're in that vertical um, uh, format... But they are cinematic. That's the that's the amazing part well, about it. At the end it. of the day, that's you know that's what I want. I mean, that's what I was doing beforehand. Mm. Yeah, they, so it's just it really fight. comes across. Yeah. Like, Thank you. Yeah, it really does because you notice the difference because we watch so many, um, you know, TikTok videos and uh, YouTube show reels and Facebook show reels, and they come from a variety of spaces. You know, whether they're educational or they're um, you know. Uh, uh, you know, silly and crazy, um, you know, or, you know, people just filming in public generally. And that's most of the content you see in that ratio. And to see content that is like fully cinematic, that is obviously targeted and made that way, it, I just think it's an it's something that is um, very re- uh, revolutionary. Like, it's really the cutting edge. Because if you think about, like, even if you go back through film studies, right, you know, how we were taught as filmmakers to make film back in the day, and even our predecessors that were taught to make film, these processes carry across, but the ratios have been changing from cinema to TV, and, you know, 4 by 3 16 by 9 but now 9 by 16 because that's the device. That's Marshall McLuhan. That is the medium is the message sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, to take the cinema um, skills to across to that platform that's normally backyard tinkerer sort of stuff, um, is pretty cool. Like, yeah, if you guys haven't checked this content out, you've got to check it out. Um, have you got this stuff online already? Yeah, yeah. So if you want to see, uh, if you want to visit me on TikTok, I'm just, um, my handle is just at, at Ryan Couchy Films. Okay. And uh, yeah, you've got a few of these films on there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. Because like, um, yeah, uh, again, like showing a vertical film at a cinema as a curator. Oh, wait, no, sorry. Ryan G. Couchy is my TikTok handle. <laughs> Ryan G. My Couchy, apologies. correction. Correction. My Ryan Couchy Films is my Instagram handle. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, but seeing the, even seeing that content on a big screen, it still translates. Because imagine if you just shot it in a um, poorly lit area with a, with a phone, that would translate on a big screen. Like, you would see the degradation in it. It would really fall well, apart. Well, you would see the degradation, but, I mean, like, I apply... Um, the same principles of lighting, um, importance about importance with score, sound design, sound mixing. I mm. mean, you know, once you're Foley, yeah, you had Foley in this stuff, right? I, I have it all. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what it really blows my mind. Um, and uh, yeah, the story. Uh, what was her name? Mo- uh, Moral Moira Hill. Mo- Moira Hill. Yeah, that that was a really cool story because it does go into that. Um, you know, those uh, um, horror tropes of you know. Uh, of the past that have been linked to the future. She gets this text about success, not to give it too much away, but she ha- goes through this journey of um, discovery, like, oh, I'm a champion, but oh, now, uh, you know, things have gone pear shape. And it's all through the device. Mm. It, it's the phone call in the house. It's, it is the hook in the back seat of the hitchhiker sort of feel, yeah. 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 I'm re- it's really cool. Super oh, cool. Thank you. 
Um, yeah, that's why I'm oh, oh, back to grey stains. Mm. Um, that's why I'm excited to see what's going to come out of this because I've got a bit of um, connection with Greystones because I've driven past it so many times. I've done band practices there. Or I thought you were going to say something more impressive like, I was born in Greystones, Oh, baby. no, not, yeah, not that much of a, a handle, but I, I, I have um, frequented uh, that uh, suburb often. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, see, uh, like, to see it in uh, a title is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, there was never any other title considered. mm um, I was like, it's like Twin Peaks. Yeah. Name it after the town. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, again, I, I like these, this referencing, but what is Greystains about? What is Greystains about? Mm. So um, for the kids at home, I am of, um, I am Maltese Australian. So I, my, both my parents mm. are Maltese. Uh, they came to Australia when they were very young. So um one thing, you know, growing up, um, I didn't see a lot of people that looked like me mm. in content. Okay. And still to this day, I, um, there's no, there's a, there's a very, very small output mm. of Maltese content. Yeah. And I haven't really seen any instances of Maltese Australian scripted content. Mm. Um, so I, as you know, I'm a huge lover of horror and of folklore if if my fil- if my short film golem was anything to go by is love that, that I film love- as well thank you very much <laughs> i love i love um tapping into mythology and the whole political social um uh context for for these for these myths and these legends mm. and i didn't even know that malta itself had really a mythology had anything mm. unique about it and um, about f- f- eight years ago, I'd mm. like to say, eight years ago, a, uh, a professor by the name of Stephen Misfoot okay. um, wrote a book called The Maltese Bestiary. And it was a book that collected um, all types of uh, mythical characters, mm-hmm. monsters... Uh, superstitions, um, you know, the mythological, fantastical aspects associated with flora and with mm-hmm. fauna, mm-hmm. the idea of a Maltese netherworld and other dimensions and and yeah, things wow. like that. And I'm just reading this book and I'm just like going, wow, yeah, this is so unique. This is so distinctive. Like I, I seriously thought, and you know, like any mythology, you think you, you think you're going to come across a lot of overlap. Yeah, yeah, or, or um, uh, like a version of it. Yeah, like a version of your standard. You know, you know, standard and there ideas, is, yeah. and there is in Maltese mythology, but um, there were just so many things that were in there that were just so uniquely Maltese, and mm. so, and I was like, I was like, wow, you know. This stuff has to be seen on screen. Mm. You know, I need to adapt some of these characters, some of these situations, some of these unique beliefs mm. in in a in a in a scripted drama. Mm. And I was talking to my older sister Helena, well, my only sister, my <laughs> only sibling, uh, Helena, who um, was who I can who we attribute the story of cut off to. Mm-hmm. So she's my compadre. She's my, um, she's a creative soundboard. I, she's absolutely fantastic. Okay. Yeah, great. And I said to her, 
I'm seriously considering doing something based on Maltese folklore. Mm. She turns to me and she says, have you heard about the curse on mum's side of the family? Okay. And I'm like, no. And she's like, no, talk to talk to mum. There's, there's actually a legit curse on mum's side of the family. Mm. And I don't want to go into any details about no, said I don't curse. don't want to go too much. Because right? that became the genesis of Greystones. Okay. And yes, legit. Uh, my mum's like, yes, this is, there's a curse on on our side, um, on my side of the family. And she told me the story, and I phoned my nunna, my grandmother. And I said, yeah. "It's Dewey." And she's like, "Viru, yes, Ryan, yes, there is a, yes, there is a curse." Uh, and um, I was like, "Wow!" So, like any good, um, any good uh, adapter of source material, I um, took creative license with an already outstanding. A pretty damn amazing curse yeah, <laughs> to oh, make it exciting. work in my story. <laughs> man, it sounds super exciting, man. I think these are great um, sort of anchors to tell stories too. And that's why I find it interesting in, you know, uh, especially Western Sydney, people talk about um, getting um, their, you know, their ethnicity on screen, right? And uh, what I've been finding as a curator, that this happens automatically if you just have, uh, if you take an authentic approach to your region. Um, and that's something that I found that I was doing subconsciously because um, Made in the West was basically started out of, um, you know, just opportunity for West- people in Western well, It's a Sydney. celebration of our community, and then it becomes yeah. a celebration of the cultures within that community. Yeah, and I was always minded of the cultures of it, but I didn't mm. um, fully understand, like, the impact that that would have when people saw different people on screen. Like, I knew that was going to be an effect, but I didn't understand the emotional context behind it. Um, because uh, so frequently people talk about this with me. They go, "It's really great what you guys are doing. You're putting, you know, uh, people of color on screen, people of different backgrounds on screen." I'm like, "It's interesting because that's not our, um, it's not our focus. Our focus is to put content on screen from our region. And if you, you know, you don't have to throw a stone too far to find um, variety in Western Sydney. No. And uh, when, you know, when you, when you, you know, you're firing neurons in my brain when you're talking about these things because like. Um, to see these things happen is absolutely amazing for me. Um, and you start to see it in the mainstream as well, like, you know, films with subtitles are becoming more acceptable. I've got theories behind that, actually, because um, uh, people being on their phones and, you know, quietly watching movies have to read subtitles because now they don't seem to mind uh, foreign films. Like, if you go, if you rewind the clock in our generation, right, um, you know, from uh, Gen X to early Gen Winers, uh, Gen, <laughs> Gen Winers, geez, well, Freudian slip. Um, yeah, there's, um, uh, there, oh, I lost my train of thought there. Uh, there's a, um, um, uh, oh, fuck, I lost my point there, right? Are you, saying that, are you saying that the generation before us would never want to watch something with subtitles? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's, that's what I was talking about. Um, you know, it, it, when I was at home, like, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, look, I think that's still the case because I'm pretty sure most people watch Squid Game with the dub. Oh, do they? Oh, I'm I, pretty sure. I've done both. <laughs> I've done both um, uh, with the dub and without. Like, I think my first exposure to the, uh, that sort of thing was um, a movie called Run, Lola, Run. Yes. Classic. Um, watched it first in, in dub, and it was great. It was great when I was dubbed. But then I watched it um, via the subtitles. Totally different experience. Um, you miss... When you have something that's dubbed, you miss these little nuances of how the actors portrayed themselves in this film. Um, but when you get their um, their language, you get their their tone properly. Get their tone, and you get their culture, and they get you get what's um, normal to them. Yeah. I I felt the same way. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of Hayao Miyazaki. Um, mm-hmm. I I credit a lot of 
the films of the fantasy films of Studio Jubilee to shaping my interest in wanting to put folklore and mythology and fantastical characters mm-hmm. on screen. Um, my generation who grew up on films like Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, House Moving Castle, naturally mm. our first exposure to them are the, um, you know, the English dubbed yeah, versions true, yeah. where they, you know, got, you know, A-list actors mm. to um, provide the voices of these characters. And um, only recently I revisited Spirited Away and after years of watching it dubbed in English mm-hmm. and I thought to myself, um, you know, this time around I want to watch it in Japanese with the subtitles. Mm. And I know Spirited Away, I've seen that film so many times, I almost know the um, English script yeah. verbatim and I'm watching it with subtitles like, oh, oh, this is different. Mm. Oh, I know now why they would have changed that line because that reference wouldn't land in... Um, yeah, because of the arrangement of the language. That wouldn't, that, you know, no, that, no one would know what that meant. No yeah. one would, um, you know, there's like, it's cultural, cultural things. Mm. Um, well, I find yeah. that like, even an example um, uh, with my wife actually would go overseas to uh, see her family in um, uh, Eastern Europe. Yeah. And, um, you know, we would call a drink on a Sunday morning after a big night on a Saturday, hair of the dog. Yes. And, and this, if you're Australian, you know what that means. Mm. If you're outside of Australia, you might not know what that means, that turn of phrase. Um, over there, they call it, um, there's a monkey, you know, I've got to get the monkey off my back. Ooh. But it's, it means the same thing. Yeah. It means having a drink uh, the night after a big night. Um, but yeah, I've got to get the monkey off my back. So they have a drink. Uh, but over here, we're like, oh, I've got to have hair of the dog. And we use that as a, a taste of a, a reference of taste and um, you know um, texture, and they use it as a reference as emotion and, and experience. But it's the same thing. And well, they all link back to an annoyingly delightful animal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I, I, I'm, uh, yeah, I've um, uh, I've been in uh, situations where we've had a pet monkey before. A uh, pet monkey named Mojo. Yeah, that's another story, though. <laughs> Ooh. Well, I've, I've I've just got the French bulldog, and she's 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 slightly monkeyish. <laughs> that will do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, <laughs> yeah. But for sure, I um, yeah, I just I find what you're doing uh, very interesting, especially in that um, nine by sixteen nature. I had to um, build a template because um, obviously we migrated some content to um, uh, Made in the West. Um, oh, sorry, to TikTok in order to promote Made in the West. Uh, and I was really reluctant, like another another um, platform, platform mm-hmm. that I've got to manage, another content stream I've got to provide for. Um, so you look at it, I looked at it from the workload point of view. But I must say, um, uh, when I started editing those films in TikTok, I found TikTok to be the most advanced editor that I've used on a phone. It's very easy. Probably more advanced than Instagram even. Totally. Yeah, yeah. It's way more intuitive, I way mean, more understanding. I... I would much rather do what I need to do on in my editing software mm. and then output it the right way to the platform. Yeah, match it too, yeah. But um, I just, um, you know, wanted to create just a random funny video on TikTok mm. and I was just so blown away by all the options. What you can were, do. What, what was available to me. I'm actually even surprised about what options are available to you if you want to edit something on your phone in iMovie, the iMovie app. Yeah, it's gotten better as well. Like, yeah. I, like even that's amazing. I mean, if you want to, if you want to hear, um, if you want to hear a real crazy story with the mm. iMovie, um, I actually got one of my microfilms on a deadline done by finishing it off in iMovie oh, wow. on the commute to work. 
Oh wow, that's uh, that's um, <laughs> that's intense. I don't think so I've ever delivered on that deadline. So before. a last minute sound mix, yeah, and then whacking it onto Vision, yeah, on uh, um, high res Vision popped into iMovie, that's and mad. then yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, but I'm I'm the same. Like I I prefer to take it into my um, edit suite to cut so you know and then you start building templates mm-hmm. and i was sitting there for a while i was googling around going what what is the ratio that i need to do this for and then i was just sitting there <laughs> couldn't find any help on google because obviously the question i'm asking was so obvious there was no answer to the question um but then i'm like oh it's just reversed it it's the same oh, it's 1080 but it's the other way around or like uh, or yeah whatever um uh pixel ratio it is but i'm like oh, it's just nine by 16 not 16 by nine and I remember having this aha moment, like you're such a dork, Ross. You should, you're three <laughs> hours behind because of this, this because of this issue. Uh, but yeah, when I yeah, but that, again though, you can look at the attributes on that software, uh, not the software, but the platform. So you've got space to put, um, you know, other artifacts, and that's what I really find interesting. Like the way that you present your content, especially more in the promotional side of content. Mm. When you look at promotional content, you've got more space to get more information out in a short amount sure. of time. Yeah. And uh, so what I do is sort of an integrated edit. So I'll edit the um, the baseline content, and then I'll take it into TikTok, and then add the um, uh, the artifacts that I need to, whether they're text, music, whatever. Um, so yeah, I just I've I've done edits like that previously. When as soon as you could edit on a phone, I tried it, and it took forever. Like mm. I think it was on iPhone two that I tried that on. Um, I shot it entirely on. It was on TVS actually. Uh-huh. They said, "Oh, we want you to do an experiment, and we'll see how it goes." I'm like, "Okay." So I made a quick little music video using the phone would have taken like six hours to shoot and to edit and it's very frustrating a little screen with the all the edit functions on there but uh tiktok man um wham bam it's out it's yeah. really quick yeah I, I was really impressed um but yeah um uh so how far away is gray stains uh down the pipeline have you finished shooting or are you about to no, shoot no we're um as of mon- this coming monday we'll be four weeks away from the first day of principal photography Okay, wow, Um, uh, jumping in. Yep, and releasing the first episode on that sacred day of days, October 31st, Halloween. Yeah, great. Um, Yeah, the perfect release date for any um, horror film. Um, (laughs) But it's a series of films, right? It's not just one film? No, it's a continuing series. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, So, um, Greystains, I think you you asked before, what is Greystains? Mm. And I probably took you another... Round, round Western Sydney explanation about what Grey Stains is, mm. um, but Grey Stains is yeah we didn't get there did we yeah no we no. talked about the curse but not what Grey yeah, Stains yeah, yeah, is yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so Grey Stains is going to be fifteen one minute episodes and mm. it's set in Grey Stains in the nineteen nineties, mm. um, and Great. I like it already yeah <laughs> and uh, the Maltese Australia you know back in the nineties uh, Grey Stains was like in uh, New South Wales was like the primary uh, location for the Maltese Australian culture. Okay. But in the 90s, it was kind of like the end of an era. Kids that grew up in grey stains were now gro- were now moving out and having f- families across Australia. Mm. And now if you look at the... The Maltese presence is still there in grey stains, but it's not the number one presence. It's yeah. not even the num- number two presence, I don't think. So in this end of an era, this um, I- um, time in grey stains, um, a brother and sister, Sam and Marius, um, c- 
come and visit their nunna mm-hmm. um, and stay with her for the holidays. And, you know, the beautiful thing of um, Greystains is it explores the generational gap, the cultural gap between mm-hmm. um, old world Malta yeah. and uh, children who are very much entrenched in the, the, the Australian culture and their... Okay, so um, sort of slang, um, uh, language, traditions, culture yeah, itself. Yeah, and that's semi-autobiographical. I mean, I'm guilty of the same sort of thing growing up. Well, I think these things organically happen when you make movies, right? Like, um, generally, we think about context. Like, what's the context of this film? And when you start building, you're like, oh, there's a bit of a subtext here that yeah. I didn't recognise in, in myself when I was writing it or making it. Uh, I like I like that sort of thing because it's really organic and again it comes to that authenticity of te- of storytelling. Mm. There's always an origin of yourself in the story, mm. even if it's totally fictitious and uh, fa- you know fantasy. It doesn't matter. There's always elements of you or elements of things that you know that are in there because that's how that's your reference yeah. points, right? And the thing that brings them in touch with their cultural roots is a fucking night of horror. Yeah, um, they are prey- sounds horrific. The children are prey. The children are preyed upon by Il Hadila. Mm. Il Hadila is the um, the sleep paralysis demon mm. in Maltese folklore. Okay, and as I'm already a, a little bit scared. Of and as a victim <laughs> myself of sleep paralysis, mm. and knowing very well what that feels like, mm. um, I am glad to finally put stuff that scares me on yeah. screen yeah. instead of stuff I think other people will be scared by. And Il Hadila is linked to the Maltese netherworld and also somehow linked to a curse mm. in their fam- in, in Sam and Marius's family. Okay. And it's um think of think of their nunna mm. as not their um Nunna who is just worried about making the kids eat pastizzi and, um, mm-hmm. you know, say their prayers and that. Nunna becomes the Professor Van Helsing of our story. Okay. So Nunna takes a very active role in our this. story. This is great. Um, man, I can't wait to see this. This sounds awesome already. Like, the way that you make these things is bloody fantastic. Yeah, this, so it's a, it's this a sounds continu- next level. It's a continuing story. Yeah. And um, setting grey stains in the 90s and making use of the fantastic hor- gothic horror mm. um, structure that is the grey stains aqueduct. Mm. Okay. Yeah, wow. Okay, so you've tied a lot in there. Yeah. You've got a lot going on no, in there. No, it's, it's very... It's, it's, it's dense. <laughs> but um, we finished um, our third draft yeah. uh, just last week and um, we were like, yeah, this is... Well, this is the one. How big is a team to run to make this kind of content? Like, how how how? What's what kind of team are you running? Are you a one man band, or do you have a crew? Well, no, because um, Greystains is funded by Screen Australia mm-hmm. through the Every Voice Initiative. Mm-hmm. The Every and I um, encourage any Western Sydney person mm-hmm. who um, feels like they come from a underrepresented background. Yeah. Be it it's like a lot of my, people in Western Sydney. Yes, <laughs> be it someone like myself who considers themselves coming from a culturally and linguistically diverse background, mm-hmm. or someone who feels that like they come from the uh, who are aligned with the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to tell their story through this platform, through this initiative, it's fantastic. Yeah, and and, and social economic backgrounds as well. Yeah, that too. Yeah. That too. But um, 
so yeah, I'm I'm running a team. Uh, it's a, it's probably the largest team I've ever worked with before. Um, mm. Cast producers. Um, all the people in camera. I've got my boys in practical effects oh, wow. um, to re- to realize. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a if Golem is anything to go by, I'm a mm. sucker for practical effects. Mm. Um, Again, it was to- another top notch thing. So yeah, just um, guys, if you haven't checked it out, go check out uh, Ryan's uh, channel uh, for Golem Man because it, Golem's on there. Yeah, no, Golem has a Golem is still after all this time is still stomping around the festival circuit. So oh, it's still going. It will. It, it's still going, and it will probably have a digital release this year though. Yeah, great. Uh, it's it's a movie that uh, people should see, like because you've done like um, stop motion animation practical effects um the even the costumes in this thing are amazing uh the, I, I don't even know where you would go to get those kind of like because you do like because it's the you know, just a um not to give too much away about it involves the uh second world war and it's during uh nazi germany i don't even know where you would go to get the actors to wear uniforms like that to do that that would be super hard it's- that would have been challenging now uh, was it was a guy in melbourne that you got that through so warwick's um Firearms and military—they provided the um, the uniforms. I was very legit. Like it was super legit. Oh yeah! If you're going to do something, like I am a, I am a stiffler for um, historical accuracy. Mm. Even down, even with grey stains, mm. with nineties, I'm like, you know, no, I want that particular TV. I want with that VCR, mm. and we need to find that kind of car. And fortunately, all the pieces have been falling together in place but it's look it is it is well it looked the, like you spent tens of thousands of dollars like i know you spent a bit of money on it but it looks like it, it looks like a full like a full feature linked production sort oh, of set. golem did yeah yeah really did you did really well like it, it it came to the um don't get me wrong it had the um uh that uh schlocky horror aspect to it but that was a part of um the tone that you set in that in that film but well, um, it harkens back to that tradition of silent horror films yeah um Nosferatu, mm. Caligari, all those. Yeah, well, yeah. And even, then the 60s element with the stop motion with, like, you know, Ray Harryhausen and... Yeah, well, you had the, the locations, the the uniforms, the weaponry that was in it, um, the story that uh, obviously is the backdrop of it all, man. It's, like, super impressive and, uh, like, a lot of time and effort. Oh, a lot of... A lot of we On the last podcast, we spoke about how much compositing work goes into yeah. making characters feel real, but... Nice thing with grey stains is mm. that all our char- all our um, fantastical characters will occupy the space with the actors. The mm. actors don't have to pretend that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To, to imagine the uh, imaginary thing that's there. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. No but... tennis balls. No. No <laughs> marks. Green screen. You know. Yeah. Oh, oh man! Look, the things they're doing now though are super impressive. Like I was watching um, a bit of a doco today about um, film tracking. How they're doing that now. They, mm. um, they're putting like a fingerprint outside the camera. Uh, where it's then got dots that are linked onto something. Oh, that's face. crazy! And then they can then track um, the camera in in motion with the actor, so they don't need a controller on it. The camera will robotically track the actor. It's like like they could be jumping out of a plane and it will track them if you put the device behind the camera. It's like whoa! It's nuts. That's what nuts. We, what we can do, what mm. we can do now, and in terms of visual effects, like. You know, 15 guys working on everything, everywhere, all at once mm. and um, learning how to do half these effects for the first time mm. and the film looking 
as visually gorgeous as it did. Yeah, you, uh, from color correction, from you know keeping the tone, the grain, um, the whole the whole shebang, and then integrating that with uh, your effects, man. Like it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, again though, just to to have that crew behind you must be a, a sense of achievement though for the uh, for gray stains. Well, it's like I always say, it's like you're inviting kids into your sandbox. Mm. You're inviting kids to play. I mean, yeah, sure, there might be some white dog turds amidst the um. <laughs> Again, it's a uh, generational thing. They're, they're yeah. not white anymore because yeah. they changed the dog food. But yeah, yeah, well, true. But I mean, yeah, you might find some tail dog turds in the sandbox. They, they're the bad days on the shoots or yeah. the, the off moments. Mm. But um, it's uh, but like you know, it's you know, I'm, I'm working with a lot of the same people, mm. um, same guys in the um, kind of the art direction, in the creature design, working with my composer mm. again, working with my sound designer again. Yeah. Oh, yeah, again, with, uh, you know, composers, sound designers, I try to um, uh, encourage filmmakers to work with composers and sound designers because like, especially sound, right? Everyone thinks about the images. We need to think about these um, uh, graphics, you know, from a cinematic view. Like, but have you thought about the cinematic view of your audio that's in that space? Oh, and sound is so important. It's the silent killer. Um, well, I, sometimes when I, I, I calculated recently, actually, over the last 12 years of doing Made in the West, I think I've watched, I think in the vicinity of 900, it's just under a thousand um, short films in, mm. made in Western Sydney. We've displayed and shown 300 of those. And the ones that didn't make it, most of them were sound based. Most it, when you look, it, it, ones that were rejected on technical proficiency because you couldn't display them because the sound wasn't there. Yeah, um, you need to be able to separate that dialogue, create foley preferably. Um, I do foley by the way. Uh, uh, give me a holler if you need some foley. Um, but you know, get a sound designer on there, get a composer, and especially um, composers that are out there. They're everywhere. There's as many composers out there as there are cinematographers and editors. Mm. They are everywhere. Connect with these people because they're eager to work too. Um, and it's like you know, as we've been working through our lives, right? We start off small and we get bigger projects as we get more proficient and more confident in our um, in our space. And as well, main, you know, uh, Western Sydney is growing. The industry is growing um, at an exponential rate. Mm. Um, you know, we're fielding work to everyone at the moment because everyone comes to Made in the West at the moment. It's like fantastic. Like, oh, great. Let's make this film. Let's make this other film. Um, there's so many um, organizations out there that require content from a range of um, fully uh, produced fictitious film all the way down to promotional videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need everything. Oh, yeah. Um, we've got so much talent in Western Sydney, and I've seen it every year. Hundreds of oh, people. Oh, I've seen it too. <laughs> hundreds of people that are super awesome at what they do. There's different cohorts. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, uh, there's, uh, you know, we have uh, all of the rock stars of Maine the West, mm. but there's, I see the new rock stars that are coming out. Oh, yeah. Um, I've been interviewing them lately. We were talking off air before. Um, uh, Cerise and um, Laura, uh, you know, um, two young ladies that are co-producing, co, you know, editing, writing. Like they're, they're, you know, they're, you know, two lady army, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're gonna like light the world on fire. You know, there's people like that, like that out there, um, and that's what's coming up through the ranks now. Um, I think I'm at the uh, other end of the spectrum where I'm old and cranking like this. Beat no. up opportunities. We're gonna we're gonna make this happen. Uh, no, but the truth is that I see I see the potential in our region. I see the artistry, and the thing that I think that is the thing that bolsters it was is what you were talking about before. It's about that um, organic diversity. It's about um, you know again people say oh you're getting color on screen. It's not about that. It's about the content. It just so happens that. 
it's a different variety. It's a garden variety. Um, there are so many options for content. There are so many different approaches to how to shoot a film. Like, if we wanted to promote a business, right, I could go to someone, they go, well, we, we're, we're a toy shop. I go, well, but we sell a lot of horror stuff. I go, I've got the director and editor for you. <laughs> um, I want to promote this as a, as, as a you know, a, a journey in the life of, we've got like how many directors that can do that? Yeah. They're, you know, how many editors can make that content? Mm-hmm. There are so many in Western Sydney. I guess my real point about this is um, if we don't take up the space, someone else will. Yeah. It's literally ours to lose. And I think we just need to um, take the next step. And that next step is um, um, to uh, make our uh, fees more professional, uh, to make our income more professional, because it's all, we've already monetized what we're doing. Mm. Um, you know, people like you and myself, and, and and many others that have been on this show, and many others that are part of Made in the West. We all started in the backyard tinkering. We all started with a small camera, um, probably some pirated software at the start, but now we've got licensing for our software. You know, it starts off small, but then it grows. Yeah. Um, what I'm seeing in the cohorts that are coming up with us is they're just go- they're they're the atom bomb. <laughs> um, we're, we're the people. We're the plutonium. They're the atom bomb. You know. Yeah. They're gonna go off, man. And and we and we have the privilege of watching that all go down, um, because we're a part of that wave. We we are the initiators of that wave, um, and it was always coming. Uh, if you look at it from an academic point of view, mm. um, it's the situation that allowed it to happen. Of course, it's the accessibility of film equipment. It's the accessibility of platforms. It's um, the accessibility of knowledge and how to do all this stuff. Like, yeah. you don't need to go to uni to get a um, uh, film degree to figure no, out how to make film this day. No, though. not at all. You can go straight on the internet and you could, you know, six tutorials, you're making movies, man. Yeah. They may be not good straight away, but make five of them. You're now getting proficient. Do that for five years, you're selling your content. Do that for 10 years, you're selling your content well. And that's the, that's the, yeah, you know, and I think you could agree with that scale. Like, oh, hundred percent. You know, yeah. you, if you do, if you, it takes about ten years. That's why I say to people, like, um, and don't get me wrong, there's you know people that shoot right through the ceiling from the get go. They do exist, but most of us, uh, if you, if you get into this industry, uh, and you're expecting a paycheck straight away, that's not going to work that way. You need to prove yourself as a practitioner, mm-hmm. and to be a practitioner is going to take you a few jobs working for free at the start. It's going to take you a few jobs for working at a not so great fee for five years, and then that next five years, your your fee will come up to the industry where you are now practicing in that yes. space. It's about ten years, man. I, I agree. It yeah. is, and, and um, I, I, that's what I mean. Like to reassure people when they enter films in the main in the West, it's like we've had people that have entered four times and not gotten in, but their fifth time they got in. Um, and the guys out there know who I'm talking about if you're listening. Because um, I go, because they're running their own festivals and doing their own thing, right? And you go along to their launches and their gigs, and they're like, man, thanks for, like, because we email with them and talk yeah. and go, give them encouragement. Like, man, you just missed out, bro, but please keep making movies. Like, I know you missed out, but you you are, like, this close to winning. Do it again next year and you'll win. And, uh, but you've got to understand, once you get to that point, it's still an onslaught of learning how to make content, how to edit content, how to shoot content, what devices that they shoot on, what ratio to shoot in. Yeah. You know? Dealing with rejection even when you feel like you have made it. Oh, yeah, the imposter monster. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not good enough. <laughs> the monster. The monster that comes out, yeah. Um, yeah, and it is a lot of no's. It is a lot of no's out there. Oh, there's a lot of no's. And even, um, you know... 
people that we admire and um, who we think are like in the top of the wall at their game, they, they, not everything they produce is a winner. No, no. Look, um, I remember my first um, film that flopped. I remember my first one, like, because I had a few wins straight up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was my third or fourth film. I'm like, oh, I'm just awesome at this. I'm so awesome. But the, um, I got humbled pretty quickly. Um, and my film flopped. And I had to really evaluate why did that not work? Why didn't that stick, you know? And there was a few reasons behind it. But you've got to push past your ego of wanting to win but and go towards the child that wants to learn. Uh, you, 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 you know what I mean? Like you, a hundred percent. You've yeah. got to really go to that space. Like, why am I doing this? Am I doing this to be a rock star, or do, or do I want to tell stories? You know, and telling stories is going to have a failure rate. You're not going to win every time. So you're going to, you're going to no. bump sometimes. Yeah, no, just because you know you um, were the best picture winner the first year doesn't mean you'll get it again. Well, you might even your next project might be one that's not even going to be considered for the best picture race because it's like, what the fuck were you thinking? Yeah, it's turkey. Ha- it's happened. It's yeah. happened to uh, some of our filmmakers, man. I have to reassure them, like, man, you're still you're still a rock star to us, man. Yeah. We still love you. Um, just keep making movies, man. It's not going to always work out for you. And um, as someone that's experienced that, I can give people reassurance. Don't be disheartened by um, something that didn't work. That yep. That's a that's a hard thing that's a hard thing to learn. Mm, um, it really is. And I just I just say, look, if you're going to be a creative, if you're going to um, pursue the great white whale mm. of um, the arts, <laughs> like as that. it were, yeah, yeah. Um, you just got to take the devastating lows mm. and the devastating highs. Yeah, you got you got you you got to take them both. Yeah, you have to. You have to. And you have to evaluate both of them. Yeah. You, know, you yeah. have to be honest with yourself. Yeah. Um, and some things stick and some things don't. If you are just having highs, there's the risk of complacency. There's the mm. risk of being stale and being not wanting to challenge yourself and be flexible. If, yeah, it's happened know, to me before. Yeah. It's, ha- it's happened to me recently. Um, uh, I can't even build the business website because I've got too many clients. I don't even time to advertise. We're just making so much content and then you go, well, this is none of, none of my content. Mm. It's nothing that I'm building. I haven't made a movie that I've written in three years because I've been too busy making other people's films. Um, don't get me wrong, you get the, um, the dexterity and the technical mm. dexterity of making stuff, but that application of you putting yourself on the line becomes vacant and that's where you get a bit soft I think that's my experience I've gotten a bit soft that way so I need to go out there and make something and and put it on the line and risk it that's what I'm going to do next and you know sometimes you know it's worth making something that has a mixed reception Mm -hmm. because then it just you know it's you know I always say say, you know I mean Golem for example was probably the most successful thing I had Oh, he's still doing the circuit. Well, still doing the circuit. (laughs) But in terms of, um, it was a film that I had made that was being seen and that I could find reviews for it Mm. and people were assigning uh, star ratings to it and this and that. And, um, you know, at first, if you get a bad review, it hurts. It hurts a bit. But then sometimes you look at it you look at a bad review and then it might challenge you to think some, some way. So well, what could I do to, you know, improve on that area if that person, if one person thinks that might be 
a, a, a problem for them. It, yeah. it, it gets in the way of their enjoyment of the work. You're not going to win everyone. You know, and that's the thing as well. You're not going to, not everyone's going to love what you do. No, you're not, not going to win everyone. No. Uh, but that's, yeah. But, but they can sometimes be some humble wisdom in a okay review. Yeah, that's true as well. Um, okay is good. I'll go with okay. <laughs> I'm happy with okay for, um, uh, for content production. Um, yeah. And as well, like, you, yeah, it's just, you got to understand as well. There's, we forget the business end sometimes. There's a business to what we do. There is a business. There's yeah. a business to it. Um, uh, I learned this valuable, valuable lesson actually from uh, running bands. Uh, when I was in bands, mm-hmm. you're making content. Um, it's of original, um, uh, prowess. Oh, you lost your ghost. There you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've got backups. I'm dropping things all over the place. I'm splashing. You're drinking water. water. I'm the one drinking beer. Um, <laughs> um, I lost my place. Where was I going? Um, managing bands. And, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, so yeah, managing um, a band. You think, oh, you know, when you're 19, oh, I'm going to be a rock star. It's going to be great. And then you realise, oh, there's marketing involved. Oh, there's legalities involved. There's copyright involved. There's venues involved. There's promotion involved. There's um, uh, music video production, sound production. Then we've got to write the stuff. So when you go around to actually producing music, it's only twenty percent of the business. Like you got to like at the start, what you want to do is move that ratio to just full creation and handing over that problem to someone else. But that's not going to happen for ten years, man. You got to work at it, unless you're one of those shooting stars, you know. And but that's what we all those hope. Prodigies, for. yeah, yeah, yeah. We all hope to be that. But the r- reality is, if it hasn't happened to you yet. It, 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 as a young person's not going to it may happen to you down the track but it's, at this moment it's not but persistence yeah 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 and keeping not, at it and not being discouraged well i think especially from a technical point of view to be a good editor you're looking at 10 years 10 oh, years yeah. uh 5 years uh, like don't get me wrong like uh, uh, i was producing tv you know the first year out of university was doing that mm. um and you know um uh filming content for for networks yeah. doing all that sort of thing um, but, um, you know, to, to be your own practitioner outside of the umbrella of people you work for, mm-hmm. that's something that is something that, that is something that you need to pursue as enhancing your skills and keeping up to date with technology, keeping up to date on how to do things, networking with people that are like-minded to assist you in how you're building your product. Um, and then it's, again, it's a product. At the end of the day, it's, it's a product, yeah. It's at the end of the day, it's a product. It's your love product. You love it, mm-hmm. but it's your product. And um, ultimately, um, uh, someone gave me very good advice once. They said, "Be an unapologetic capitalist, Ross. Um, if you, th- you know, especially in music, they say um, if you start, you know, you can sell out, right? Oh yeah. But someone once told me, he goes, it doesn't, have you ever sold out? And they go, I go, yeah, I've sold out before. And they go, well, you've already sold out. Um, you're not giving it away for free. Mm-hmm. Um, you've clearly sold out. You don't want to admit that because of the phrasing of it, but that's the reality. You've tried to convert your art to money." So, you've, therefore, you've sold out. <laughs> You're no longer um, happy to be the Kurt Cobain living in the back of a Datsun eating cheese because you like playing guitar. You actually want to sell your art. And you have to admit that. And to sell your art, especially in this day and age, you've got to be competent. You've got to be good at it. You've got to understand the, uh, the artistry and the science and the engineering and the technical prowess behind it. And that takes time you can't just automatically do it after six youtube tutorials you can't do it you can start but you can't be proficient yet it takes experience and time and failure learning winning uh, success failure winning success failure and hopefully over time your successes outweigh your failures that's the hope 
That's the hope. That's yeah. the hope um, of, of drive and, and doing these things. Um, but yeah, I, I encourage people, if you get keep at it, um, I think another saying is they have is um, fake it till you make it. Yeah. That's a fake it till you make it mentality, but at some point, you're going to have to make it. Yeah. You know, uh, and your passion, your the depth of your passion will be measured if you uh, by how long it takes you to make it. If mm-hmm. it takes you a long time to make it, you're obviously a very passionate person. You're not willing to let go. And I think if you have a 10-year mindset, uh, a 2 and 5 and 10-year mindset, you've got a good thinking about it. You, you're rational about it. Because mm. um, no one rational gets into the media industry. No. <laughs> No, I think I think if you're in the media industry, that yeah, you've got more than a few screws loose. Yeah, you have to. You have to. Normal people just go and get a job or something. Um, they don't try to start and run a business, especially in Australia. Like Australia is super hard to sell content. Oh yeah, super hard. Um, especially you know, film not so much, but music for sure. It's hard to sell. Oh music yeah, in Australia. music. Yeah. Um, especially because you know, you can go into that. You know, the pokey culture taking up spaces in venues. But I took those lessons across from that and put it into the film industry and that, you know, voila, there's Made in the West. You're talking to a venue, you're marketing it, you're producing content, um, you're bolstering that content, mm-hmm. you understand the legalities behind presenting it, um, you create relationships. And then what I realized is that there are people everywhere. There's absolutely people everywhere that want to do this. And uh, the more that you remind them that they're a part of an industry, the more that they understand is, well, I just got to keep applying myself. Well, absolutely. Understand that you're not alone. Yeah. You're not your postcode, man. You, you are an artist. Mm-hmm. It's the hardest thing to admit in your life as an artist. And, and saying it, I am an artist. It's the hardest thing to yeah. admit it. Yeah, because um, your parents don't want you to do that. They want you to go be a doctor, lawyer, or um, someone that's... Yeah, my, my, my folks are still getting around the idea that um, I want to make money doing what I'm doing. Yeah, no, it's just a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. And then it's, you know, the word hobby is, you know, it's bit insulting but then again mm. it's um that's just, that's just the ego talking well that's it you, know, you go yeah but it's hey look it might be a hobby but i'm getting paid for it can't be that much of a hobby if i'm getting paid for it um and you know as years go on you get paid more and more for it because you get better at it and you get more clients you get more i think i mean what i mean is like you know um like you know my day job is producing and editing mm. television mm. you know that's 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 you know that's that's a job mm-hmm but I mean, um, you know, I, eventually, you know, I want to want what I'm doing. Like I want to step away from it. I want that to kind of eclipse yeah. the nine to five. And I want that, you know, I want to be able to make a living from my own IP, from my own, yeah. cre- from my own um, ideas and that. And yeah, that's, a, that's always the, but, that's, but it's very, it's a very hard, hard road. Super hard road. But I, I tell you what though, um, uh, we're getting closer. Um, every time we talk to each other, especially me and you and uh, others that are in our community, every time we talk to each other, we go, oh, we've just got a grant for this thing. And I'm like, oh, this guy's doing this. Like, oh, that's great. That's great. And I hope that positivity stays around because like, don't get me wrong, there's a competitiveness out there. Like everyone wants the glassware at Main in the West, right? But my, my point to them is like, are you on the screen? Like, yeah. I said, the glassware is secondary then. Like you're on, there's 300 people watching your movie, man, that are laughing and loving it. That's the juice, man. That, giving your content watched. Um, if you get the recognition and get the big laurels, great. That's fantastic. But um, yeah, if you if you got your content being shown, that's the real buzz. That, yeah, that's the real. You know, actually having feedback mm. for your work mm. is is so much more valuable mm. than 
awards. Yeah, um, I, I I have um, a, a cheeky thing that I do at Main the West because I've already watched all the movies, right, and mm. multiple formats. Um, I, I watch it on the big screen here with my whole crew. We analyse everything. We have to um, uh, first of all, we have to vet all of the content yep. to make sure there's nothing nefarious in there, um, like because we've had people like go on crime sprees and film them and send them to us. It's hilarious. Ooh. Oh, yeah. And we're like, oh, we can't show that. And we're like... I feel Man like, the West autopsy. I mean, I feel like writing back to those guys, like, do you understand that everything you've done is indictable? <laughs> like, you <laughs> you've filmed your crime spree. Dude, this is illegal. This is totally illegal. Um, so, we have to vet the content. So, we watch it over multiple screens and then I you know, transcode it. You watch it again. And then, you know, it goes to the, um, the, uh, the judges gets transcoded again, watch it again. So what about May in the West? Like, I've already seen the content. I already know what's going to happen. We, I, I curated it. I know what's coming up. What I watch is the, um, the filmmakers and all of you guys do exactly the same thing. You all watch the audience. So I watch the filmmakers when their movie's on, watching the audience to see their reaction. So I'm looking at the um, filmmakers' reaction to the um, uh, audience reaction. Um, yeah, because we've already seen the movie that we made a million times. I want to see how other people are fidgeting in their seats. And so I'll do ones, these ones and then these ones and, you know. Well, the good thing about that is, is that there is uh, there are new tranches to our Made in the West audience. Because I, I collect all the data and we analyse yeah. it, right? Uh, especially Misty. Misty's all over this. She's uh, the Terminator when it comes to Made in the West data. Um, but we look at that data and um, there are more people, that at least... Um, Near half of the audience have nothing to do with the movies at all. They're just oh, wow. they're just there to watch the movies. Wow, that's um, that is a credit. You think to about that. the program you put out every year. Yeah, because if you think about that, because like, you'll bring your crew with you, you bring your, um, your cinematographer, you'll bring your editor, you know, whoever's yeah. amongst your crew. A couple of friends. Yeah. Fifteen films. That's mm. that's ten people each. That's one hundred fifty people. Yeah. We get 300 plus at Made in the West. So, you've got to think about that, that context, right? So, some will have extra, some will have less, yada, yada, yada. But uh, essentially, there's, um, there's the people that know uh, that are regular visitors. And then we always have this, this other cohort now that have no idea who they are. It's great. They just rock up. They just rock up. Just get a ticket. They just saw our advertising. They were a part that our campaign was successful. They came and had a, had a look and they come back. Um, our comeback rate is 50%. So That's if you come great. if you come watch Made in the West, there is a one in two chance that they'll come back next year and watch it again, um, and that is insanity. Like uh, because I go to every film festival, um, pretty much in Sydney, um, and you know a lot of the um, sort of um, targeted ones like you know Italian Film Festival, Persian Film Festival, um, they'll you know, get about eighty people there, but most of them are cast crew. Yeah, like oh, that's like great. It's a good celebration. I don't want to take the piss out of that but what I'm I guess what I'm pointing out is what you want is audience in there you want general Joe public in that cinema uh, you want a variety of those people you want people that are left wing right wing central yep. uh, gay straight black white you know it doesn't matter like you want a variety of people seeing your movie because then you can see that reaction and see how it's received right mm -hmm. and I find that exciting that's the part that I go ooh I like that I really <laughs> like that so I watch the uh, yeah watching those filmmakers and watching that happen um, especially yeah comedies are a great example of that um, so com you know when they when people are writing comedy they find that there's points that they want to hit like, there's a laugh point there's a laugh point there's an applause point right and it's the surprise where they've written stuff that are supplementary in there that they get 
the extra laugh. And that's where you go, oh, I didn't know they were going to laugh at that bit. And I'm like, ah, yeah, that's really cool. Um, like, I've, in fact, I've been so focused on that. Like, I've been in Made in the West as an actor and as a director and haven't even seen my own film on the big screen. Because <laughs> I've been so focused on the audience. Um, I've had to actually have people from my film, films that I've had in, like, actually pull me aside. Come watch this with me. I'm like, okay, I will. And then I would still be, like, looking around to see what other people are looking at. Um, yeah, I just find that part exciting, and I, I think that you know the we, we the, the there's a secondary wave developing in Western Sydney, and that will really become evident in the next five years. Um, I can see on the horizon so much work for creative content, not just advertising and uh, promotional, but a lot of serious work, mm-hmm. um, documentary-based stuff, um, uh, niche, fictitious stuff that people want built. And I want to see people in Western Sydney building it. Yeah. That's what I want to see. Um, I guess, I don't know why. <laughs> I have to analyse myself here, even right now saying this, you know. I'm like, why are you so Western Sydney focused, Ross? And I guess it's, you know, I, I was born in Western Sydney. Oop. Oh, it's on silence, all right. It's all right. okay. That's all right. Um, <laughs> uh, why am I so Western Sydney focused? I go, oh, you know, it's born in Western Sydney. You know, boy from Campbelltown. And, uh, you know, went away for, you know, a good 15 years, came back, went to university. And um, I just, because I'd been in bands for 20 years at that point, I just realized that there was a, a shortfall of content presentation for people in Western Sydney. It was that simple. But when I unpacked that, there was so much more in that box than I expected. There was mm. the, the obvious, obvious appreciation and, and acknowledgement that was in there. But that for me, when I looked at that as a young younger person doing it, I didn't think that it would explode the way that it has. Like it's so hard to keep up with it. Um, it really is. Uh, but I, it's a labor of love. But now we have everyone. On, everyone's on the books getting paid. So it went from being a volunteer army yep. to being now. Oh, that's a gig that I get paid for that's once great. a year. You know, it's fantastic. And that's just the festival itself. The things that come out of that festival feature films um uh niche horror films that are uh, shot vertically you know um uh, people that are associated with this industry and sh- associated with that festival now don't care about the postcode they're actually like i'm gonna i'm gonna name in fact i'm gonna make a series i'm gonna call it after the suburb you know and i find that amazing because if you rewind the clock 10 years ago unheard of yep unheard of not even yep. in the spectrum of ideas i would never ever say in my biography ryan couchy is a western sydney filmmaker mm. the proud son of maltese immigrants he is blah 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 yeah. you know yeah, yeah it's now not it's marketable. like I, I wear these as badges of honor now yeah if you had an agent they'd go you gotta remove that stuff man yeah um uh, mate you look you look you look more italian actually yeah. let's go with an italian thing because like the malta market doesn't yeah. really sell but the italian market can sell because yeah. have you seen the godfather you've yeah. seen the godfather yeah. right? there's italians in that right so yeah. so they, they, there's a market there and we, we just need to rebrand you um, <laughs> yeah, Couchy considered, I don't know, Costanza or something. <laughs> something, you know? yeah, let's just change it up a little bit to suit the market, you know. We don't do anything like that anymore. We go, nah, this is what it is, man. This is me. Deal you with know? it. Yeah. And beyond that, it's like, all right, let's compete, actually. Let's compete with our stories. Mm. And I've got to say, like, there's, I won't mention the full regions, but we get some regional content that comes from certain suburbs that's always the same. It's always the same. It's a damsel in distress being rescued by a, a guy that has, um, uh, you know, a washboard stomach, right? And you see this content, like, I've seen this movie so many times. 
like I understand you're trying to build your profile and you're trying to get that sound bit to put on your show reel. I see what you're doing, but why did you make that movie? Um, and that movie has no context when you think about it. So when I see those movies and then contrast them with what's coming out of our region, like you know, like from the heart, um, I will night and day. I will say night this, and, and I think I said this when I saw you the other week, which was that, you know, I, I do, like you, I go to a lot of film festivals, you know, I've, you know, making short films, I, I'm on the film festival circuit and I go to different communities, different suburbs, different regions, everything to watch it. I will say quite confidently mm. that made in the west is probably the most diverse program it caters for you know it's got music videos yeah. in the program there I, fi- I will find animation in there i find student films i will mm. find a bit of horror yeah, um, you'll find everything of comedy you know drama and, and really good drama yeah. Really good drama. The dramas are getting a bit crazy, actually. They're getting a bit too like, intense. Like crazy good? Crazy good. Yeah. Like these guys are, um, again, like, see, the action films, like, from five years ago, they would get onto the, um, you know, New York circuit, um, you know, uh, British circuit, you know, you know, go to Edinburgh, go to New York, go yeah. to LA. And you go, oh, the, the Kung Fu movie that's from Australia with Australian accents. Okay, that's a cool niche thing that can sell over there. Great. But they... These days, the dramas are getting that same recognition. And um, I think that's a good indicator as well where the content is going. Like, the content started at a backyard tinkerer that would never get out of the state to a national recognized content that's now internationally recognized content as competitive content. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say let's compete. Like, if you want to, if people want to go and make these uh, show reels versus the films that we're making, bring mm-hmm. it on. I reckon we'll. It, you don't even have to try. All you've got to do is what you're already doing. It's not an extra effort. It's just continuing doing what we're doing. Hmm. It, it doesn't require any supplement to it. It is It is just what we're doing. And uh, people have seen the market in that. Like You would have noticed as well, Like uh, a few film festivals have popped up lately. You know, we, uh, we were at one uh, recently, uh, yes. Burst, Burst Film Festival. Starburst. Starburst yeah. Film Festival. Um, and then at the same night, there was another film festival. The Inner West Film Festival. The Inner yeah. World Film Fest. Um, like we've been running for 12 years yeah. and in one day, two have popped up, right? Usually when we get a film festival that competes with us in any way, they last about one to three years, right? Depending, the problem is like, I can go right into it. It's really easy to calculate um, for everyone listening, really. Um, if you base your festival on government funding, you probably have a shelf life of four years um, because government will change at some point. If government doesn't change, you've got a shelf life of eight, mm-hmm. right? but you have a shelf life. If you are corporately funded and regionally funded by businesses, you're basically unstoppable unless those businesses fault. So it's way more secure. Mainland West has never gotten government funding, ever. It's always been run by advertisement um, and or um, uh, sponsorship from organisations. It's not government funded. Um, and we don't, because we, we're the odd bod, we don't fit anywhere because we're, um, we're not ethnically specific we're not postcode specific, um, you know, we're so generic in this fashion. And that goes to the content. That's why that content gets in there. You have to have that broad church for that content to come mm. in. Like there's no theme. It's just you want to make a movie, you make the movie you want. And if you think you can compete with what everyone else is doing that's different, we'll, we'll put it against it. That's basically the formula. Um, the other for- formula of authenticity there, while I'm at it, is um, uh, judging films. Like being that other film festivals, you see films that win, and you're like, 
Mm, that's a bit suspect. A little bit of suspect going on with that winning film there. Um, I will mention them because they've gone underground. Um, <laughs> Trop Fest was a big um, uh, um, uh, a villain in this uh, sense. Yeah. They were. They really were. Um, they would uh, have films that would win that are clearly greased into win. They were literally manufactured to win yeah. in that festival. And you go, well, that's not really representative of anything, really. It's just you, you're running a business then catering to a nepotistic uh, uh, um, system. Yeah. Main the West is based on merit. It's not based on gender. It's not based on content. It's not based on specific content. It's based on um, technical prowess, how to make content, audience impact, mm-hmm. and um, uh, watchability. Can you watch this movie again? Right, that's a, that's probably the biggest winner in Main the West. If you if you watch a movie in Main the West, you go, I want to see that again. It's probably won the festival, right? Hands down. Like you, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like because you've watched a lot of these films, right? Okay. And there's ones that you go, I'd watch that again. And you if if you look through your memory of it, they've probably got some glassware. Mm. Uh, and watchability is a big deal. Oh yeah, it's a massive deal because you go. Not only is it available to a wider market, they're going to watch it twice. Yeah. Right. So. Uh, that is based on merit. Mm-hmm. The judges that we have, like uh, the main Lewis crew, have no say in who wins. Not at all. We don't. We don't mind. For us, it's about getting the movies on the screen. We don't mind who wins the glassware. For us, it's like sometimes there's people that we that haven't won. We're like, I wish that person won because they're easier to market. Like cause we, we, we look at it like we look at it from a marketing point of view. Like, oh, they're a hard person to market, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, but we can do it. We can totally do it. Right. So we look at it from a marketing point of view. Sometimes it's better to have someone in that has more channels. They're going to share it more. There's marketing opportunities that have bigger audiences, but we don't do that. If you win, we market. Yeah, you you are the winner. Um, but it's the judges, you know, um, to, you know, do the name dropping. You know, we've got you know Brian Brown. We've got um, uh, you know the guys from Rusty Cage. Um, we've got people from Ace. We've got people from um, the, the you know the Con. You know, um, yeah. You know, we've got people that are um, 25 year industry plus people that have made feature length productions that's mm. who judges made in the west and we don't mind who wins yeah. the ones that are really challenging are the ones that are at the bottom the you know for us because it comes down to curation like you would find that there's five films at the base of the list because there's four winners there's people that go that's one of those four films is going to win yeah you already know um there's another five films behind that. You go clearly in, but you know they're not going to win. Mm-hmm. They'll get mentions or nominations. Yep. It's the bottom four films that are the problem. Right. They're the problem. The winner's no problem. They're always an outlier. They're easily identified. The ones that are hard to identify are the ones that are at the border of the bottom. And I always say this to people. It's about duration. So one-minute films are fantastic. Love a one-minute film. They're easily curated. You can fit them in. Yeah. Yep. Totally. So you you, you would know this because you you'd be in so many festivals. Well, how many festivals have you got into? Do you even know? Oh, <laughs> I think um, what was it? I I, I cut off mm. was in something like seventy. Another really good one. Yeah. Seventy film festivals worldwide. Um, Golem, I've fucking lost count. Yeah. Um, but definitely over a hundred. Over a hundred festivals, right? So. I can um, I can tell you anecdotally that that is a really big number. Most people that I deal with, like um, no, a big shout out, you know, uh, someone like Matty C. Vella, right? He'll get into like twenty festivals, which is 
fucking mad, but not 70, not 100. And the reason is is because of that duration. Oh, I tell people they. Uh, or I, not the only reason. Yeah, obviously. no, no. But I, but here's here's the way um, I, I, the way I've read interpreted where it's like you could make a really you could make a a fifteen minute film, mm-hmm. fifteen minute short, and um, someone you know I don't I don't envy the people who have to curate film programs. It's very difficult. It's very difficult because they all look at this fifteen minute film. It's like okay, this fifteen minute film has got to be fucking phenomenal on every, every level cylinder. because I could easily fill this fifteen minute block with three fantastic five-minute films yeah. or two great films that are like seven-odd yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah totally. It's, it's, you know, when you when you, when you you reach that 15-minute point, um, no matter how good the film is, mm. um, it, gets in, it gets even more difficult. Well, the irony in the data is the most winners of Maine the West have made a 15-minute film. <laughs> That's the irony in the data. And you know, when grey stains is cut together, they'll be a fifteen-minute film. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> hey, a bunch of them together, and we'll do it as one. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think duration is a big part of it um, for for the curation. It's not just. It's not the. Um, I'm not saying kids go out there and all make one-minute films because you're going to get in. No, I worked it. really hard to make those one-minute films. They, you can't just copy what I do. They need to be well-produced <laughs> as well. You need to well-produce these things. I'm joking, of course. Of course, of course. But um, um, when they're well-produced, and as well, uh, I think there's, you had a, there was another fellow that um, uh, was doing one-minute films. I, don't, I have to remember his name. But because um, we had um, the, uh, Cut Off, yeah. which is where they lost their phone and they yeah. were acting all hectic. But there was another one that he was doing business cards. And it was just a business card of one minute, and he would paint a business card. Very well done, like um, macro um, uh, film uh, filmmaking. Um, micro, micro, no macro. M- micro filmmaking. Micro filmmaking. Um, yeah, and th- yeah, very hard to do. Very hard to do because when I talk to a lot of filmmakers, they'll be like, "But how do I get it done in less than fifteen minutes?" I'm like, "You have to be, you have to be, um, you can't be precious." No, no, not at all. You have to be relentless to make a shorter film. Absolutely. Like to take you can take a fifteen minute film, turn it into seven, guarantee it. There's very few that you can't because they usually act one, act two, act three, and they've got a, um, a lot to unpack because they've got this big context. Yeah, I would love to see a one minute cut of grey stains because at the moment I can't <laughs> see it. The story's so dense. That's it. Like, you know, it's very difficult to get an act one, act two and to get a question, answer and potential unanswered answer mm. in one minute super hard to do so hard um so yeah five to seven minutes is the number unless you're not doing microfilms microfilms is another art i reckon it's a separate it's not it's it's a different beast yeah, yeah. May, maybe you need to introduce a microfilm category so old ryan here can win some silverware uh, you know yeah, man, all right, it's been, uh, i mean although I, I i will say winning best editing for golem mm. was um, um i mean like look I, like we said before you, you don't do it for the awards mm. um if you do if you're doing it for the awards you're doing it for all the wrong reasons mm. um but it it's nice. It is nice like, to it's have. It's a nice yeah. that kind of pat on the back, and it becomes a memory. Mm. 
Yeah, well, and I always have good memories. Hard film, hard film to beat uh, for editing that year. That was was a turbo edited film, man. You have to be the Terminator and uh, the you know the patience of Gandhi to make that movie, man. So many key frames. Patience of two Gandhis, I think. Yeah, I don't know how you guys do that um, stop motion stuff. I'd lose my mind and be like, for fuck's sake! No, I fucking loved it. Render, fuck ya, render! I I (laughs) fucking love stop motion animation. I want to do more stop motion animation. Um, Oh, dude, I lose my shit over titles um, and super. (laughs) when they don't fucking render like they're the most basic um keyframe you know animations you can do i lose my shit when they don't work and they never do they never do work and then i export usually when i export them there's usually some sort of corruption in there because i've done some sort of poor move in between um almost got that gotcha yeah um yeah i'm I'm a good editor, but when it comes to stop motion, no, no, not for me. <laughs> no, not for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Yeah, do you do that? What's the uh, software that you use? Are you um, uh, a Final Cut guy, a, a Premiere Pro? I'm a, pre- I'm a Premiere guy. Premiere guy. I mean, I use Avid um, mostly when I'm in television, mm-hmm. but I like Premiere Pro. Yeah, television is very Avid based, aren't they? Yeah. Um, it's just the whole grunt work of it and you know, multiple projects for a series, like mul- like every yeah, episode has its project. and um, But, like, you know, the great thing is more and more uh, feature films are edited in Premiere Pro. Like, totally. I mean, the last best editor editing, I mean, everything everywhere all at once. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, edited fantastic in, film. Edited in Premiere Pro. I mean, there's a Was lot. Was that done in Premiere? Yeah, that was wow. done in Premiere. Yeah, well, most Col- most Colin brother films are done in Premiere. Okay. We've got the two brothers working back to back on laptops, and mm. yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm terrible. I'm a Final Cut stickler. I'm still on Final Cut, but seven I, though, right? Not seven, ten. Seven's really but has, old. But has ten improved? Yeah, it's pretty good. Okay, it, because I remember when Final Cut ten first came out. And it was just a glorified iMovie. Yeah, no, no, and it's I different. will never get sponsorship from Apple for saying that. They definitely um, uh, swayed the stick more to a um, Premiere Pro uh, operation. Oh, great! So the dexterity changed. Great. So yeah, what you're talking about, it became very broad brush, um, plug-in based, um, but then they allowed you to narrow it. And you can even make your own plugins on Premiere. Ah, uh, sorry, on um, Final Cut now. So I have like a Final Cut version that I think I have over two thousand plugins in there Whoa. now. Yeah, uh, from graphics to um, uh, color correction, man. Uh, but the, uh, again, though, um, I've I've been really cheeky because I I like to take um, really cool color corrections from like Aria and um, uh, Pan, um, Panavision. No, you're not being cheeky. You're just being smart. Yeah, but I reappropriate them and then rejig them to be suited to Final Cut environment. But my very my biggest trick with Final Cut that I'm always been proud of. Mm. Is that if you give like when I do um, uh, uh, cooperative uh, projects, then they're on Premiere and I'm on Final Cut. What I'll do is I'll convert um, my project files to Premiere and give it to them, and it'll work just fine. Uh, it took me a while to refine that tra- you know, um, that that conversion, uh, but you know a few little tweaks, a few little boxes ticked here, you get the same product. So um, then I get Premiere Pro project files and convert them back to Final Cut. So I'm that much of a stickler for Final Cut. I'll even go into Premiere Pro if I have to use the software. I'll um I'll adapt. Uh, I'll I'll change Premiere Pro's hotkeys 
to be Final Cut keys. Yeah, I do the same with um. I use Avid Hot keys mm. in Premiere. Oh really? So I will never fig- So I never. So if I. So I'm always going to remember Avid if I spend. Mm. You know, spend some time away from Avid, like what I'm doing now, working on Greystones. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I found Avid to be very much like um, Pro Tools. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's arming disarming. Yeah. It's, it's a I mean, different they're methodology. Cut, they're, 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 they're um they're cousins the the software they're yeah, yeah. they're related yeah because um uh, Final Cut and Premiere are based on a timeline of mm-hmm. um uh, the 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 top clip has precedence but in Avid um I'm very limited in Avid I haven't used it a lot but it, when I was using it, it was a lot like um uh, Pro Tools where you arm different lines to be your content pretty much that yeah. was that was the different workflow and I always found it jarring because I was so um, based on the you know, top top clip being um, uh, king, uh, but in Avid, it's not like that. It's, no. You can activate any cl- uh, clip you yep. want. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Th- there's power in that as well across multiple um, uh, users. So mm-hmm. there's multiple users in the space that's useful. But um, as the solo um, operator, yeah, I'm a Final Cut guy. <laughs> well, I don't like... I have occasionally get Premiere because you've got to pay the subscription or you can buy... I think you can buy Premiere outright for a year for 350 can you? Because I'm I'm subscription based. Because then I get my creative. Is that like seventy suite. bucks a month? Yeah, seventy bucks a month. So but but I mean, like, if you're using this software and it's like, and it's and it's constantly being um, updated mm. and constant, like new tricks are always coming in. So so I mean, if you love it, it's it's pretty worth it. But I've I've, I've seen it, you know, I've seen it skyrocket from like. I think back in the day, I would spend like maybe was like forty. Bucks it was thirty-five, a month. yeah. Yeah, and then, and then it hit really seventy. I'm like, <sighs> but I, just, but, I buy but, Final Cut for five hundred bucks. But it was and progressive. Done. Yeah, it yeah. does. It does modify. But the other thing with Final Cut, it will upgrade. They upgrade it as well. Okay. You just buy it outright. But um, yeah, I find the functionality are very, uh, very much similar. But the plugins are a bit different from Final. Um, I would say the plugins for uh, Premiere are more advanced. You can get away with a lot more. Um, and the final cut ones are more rudimentary, basic. Um, but you can tweak them. You can tweak them, but then you've got to go, oh, I've got to build a plug-in. I don't want to build a plug-in. No one wants to build a plug-in. No one wants to build a plug-in, man. It takes so much time. But when I do build a plug-in and I have a good one and I share it with someone, they go, that's a really good one. That was a really good, like, um, you know, RGB warp that you made there. I'm like, yeah, that's mine, baby. <laughs> that's mine, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll put that together just for fun. Uh, because, uh, well, it's even on the Pager Train, actually. Pager Train has its own uh, plugin. So when you see the titles for the yeah. Pager Train kits, um, you'll see the uh, RGB warp. That's all uh, Final Cut Roscoe plugin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's the thing. Uh, user friendly. They want to make it more user friendly. I think I'm worried about the day where they remove the mouse. And the keyboard. Like, one day it will be, like, 3D camera where you're, like, cut. You're, like, you know, you've got to do oh. hand signals where you're, like, bring that to there, put a cut there, where it's hand signals. That would be interesting. That's weird. That'd be totally weird. It's weird. I mean, and so likely to happen. I reckon it will happen. <laughs> I reckon it will eventually get there. It'll be air. You'll be cutting in air. That's where yeah. it'll go. And you do like the razor blade, like yeah, you yeah, said. Yeah, that's razor, razor blade, blade. Razor blade. And then it turns into a silent. And image. then like, you know, <laughs> J. Yeah, yeah, yeah. K. J, yeah. J, K. J, 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 J. Yeah. K. Yeah. And then like, you know, frame by frame, it's... Yeah, yeah. It's pushing down. That's one frame, one frame. But then you put a hand up in front of it. It's like, give me no, no, 25 stop. frames, 25 yep. frames, 25 frames. 
Yeah. You know, uh, we're, we're nerding out here. Yeah. Super nerding out. We've already built the algorithm. We should go and build yeah, the software. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I see it going there, but I must say I do enjoy a good hotkey scenario. Um, I, I find the same thing when I write. I have this experience when I'm in... You know when you get into the flow, when you're editing, you're not thinking, you're just editing. You're just yeah. doing like clip, import, like you're importing clip, import, uh, you know, I, O, clipped, out, in, drop it in, um, dress the sound, um, paste attributes, you know, you're just moving your fingers around. Yeah, it's on the assembly line. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's just on yeah. the assembly, right? And you're just in auto and it's coming out your hands. Yeah. Like, and I find this experience when I write... When I'm in the zone of writing a story, I feel it in my hands. I feel the story in there. I know it's a bizarre thing to say. Yeah, yeah. feel it in your fingers. I feel it in my fingers. When I'm editing, I feel it in my fingers. Do you feel it in your toes? No, no, but I feel yeah. it in my... Uh, it's kind of like when you know, when I sing as well. Like I, I feel it in my body. Yeah. Like I feel the rhythm in my body. And I find editing and writing as a, um, a rhythmic sensation as well. But rather than being you know my lungs and my stomach and... You know, my face and my mouth and my voice box. It's mm-hmm. it's my arms and my brain that are this organism that are making this thing. And then when I'm just doing it, and then I find I get wide eyed and I'm just there yeah. editing. Like one of those old school automatons where you're just like going. Oh yeah, I'd love that. I'd love to have learned that. That would have been really cool. Um, I've talked to guys that have done that. I'm like shit, man. Like are you guys with your editing. You know, uh, non-linear editing in Final Cut and Premiere Pro, so easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they even call it like, the terminology has been dragged across as well. They call it bins. You know, you yeah, drop bins, stuff in bins. Yeah, bins. Well, Avid is all about. It's all about the bins, baby. Yeah, it's all bins. Avid. Yeah, um, but that comes from film cutting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, it goes straight into a bin. Splice, splice. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and then in supers, like I say to people, yeah, I just make a super on it. And when I've got a newbie around, they're like, what the fuck is a super? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was someone saying, like in the script, I, in, in when I write something and I want something to be like a title card, I will mm. always write super. Mm. And that's just probably, and that, when I was in ad world, it was... That's how you do it. Supers. That's, a, that's the language, yeah, you're superimposed. Yeah, is, yeah. Um, yeah, is, uh, is the um, arts department going to bring the supers in for me to pop this over the shot? Yeah. This For the pack shot, you know? Well, the other thing I find hard, because you're from the TV world as well, is um, working with producers and jargon. So mm. you'll go, okay, so what's the top of the clip? They go, top? The start of the clip. At the start of the clip, what do you want? Top of the clip. Yeah. Take tail, top, yep. Top tail, right? So we've got to top tail this. And be like, they go, what do you mean top tail? Well, what's the end and what's the start and the end? So I've, I've run into producers before, when, especially when they're green. You've got to give them the jargon. Okay? Yeah. Because if they don't get the jargon, it takes forever. Um, so I, I have a terrible thing that I do pro- to producers that are new. I give them um, a paper edit. Give me the paper edit. If you don't know what's going on, you have to write in and out. Give me yeah. the end time, out time. Visual audio, yeah. upsot, downsot. Um, well, again, kids, another one, upsot, downsot. Up yeah. sound, yeah. down sound. Um, that jargon really is there to um, accelerate work. Mm-hmm. You know, Because as an editor, you've got to be fast. If you're on the clock, oh yeah. If you're making to a deadline, you have to be fun. That's the yeah, whole idea. And television deadlines are brutal. Yeah, and money's on the line, man. Money's on the line. Money's yeah. on the line. Uh, we've got to get this advertising out. We've got to get these eyes on this screen. Yeah. You have forty-five minutes. Let's go. Yeah. If you're not doing hotkeys in that situation, you're fired. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you've got to understand the machine and understand how it operates. And like, um, I, it comes across to as well when I deal with um young filmmakers. Because I get given um, 
uh, projects sometimes to um, repair. Like, they've got, I've got this broken project. Like, they might have a missing segment that they need edited out or edited in. Or, um, but a common problem I get for repair is um, non-clapped content. So they'll just record willy-nilly. And like no no slate, no sound sync, no nothing. And um, so I'll be given all these files that are marked, you know, uh, you know, DMX004, <laughs> DMX005. THX1138. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there'll be all of these random files that have no referencing whatsoever. And they're like, we can't edit this. I'm like, I can see why. Oh. There's no reference, man. How do you know what, you, how do you know what point of it is? But the trick that I'd say to people is look at your time code and like, I'm not talking about the embedded time code because if you're already in that situation, you don't know how to use a time code. Mm. I'm talking about the date created. And then a lot of these guys, they'll have their camera set to you know, whatever year it was built. You know, So it'd be 2015, January 1st at 11 o'clock. I'm like, okay, so that's the first time you use the camera. And let's just hope that it keeps that time scale throughout your project because then I can use the date and time reference to orientate what clip is what. And then you give it back to them. And you're like, now it's orientated, you can edit it. And they're like, how'd you do all that? And you're like, it's all date and time, man. But just in future, <laughs> when you're shooting stuff, you might want to state and say <laughs> <laughs> what, what you're doing. This Okay, so piece to camera in front of museum, take one. That, that will do it. That will totally do it. Yeah. You'll be done. You know? And hey... Maybe give us a... Yep. A, oh, yes. Just give us a sound sync. Use your yeah. hands. I don't need a clapper. Just your hands will do. Yep. No, the, cl- the hands are good. Yeah. Are you, yeah, but the amount of times you've watched this. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, a clapper is better. Um, when I get content though, and they've done a, um, a tail clap, I go, oh, a tail clap. Because that's when you take the clap yeah, upside mean, down, yeah. tail clap it. Like, ooh, they tail clapped it. I love these guys. I'm so <laughs> impressed. These guys know what they're doing. Uh, but yeah, when I get contents unreferenced, you're like, oh, dude, your your cost has just gone through the roof. <laughs> they're like, why? I'm like, because there's no reference, man. If you want me to build this into an article, you know, to articulate this That's project. time consuming, yeah. It's more time consuming than editing it, oh, actually. Yeah. Uh, you're like, man, you just literally tripled your cost just by doing that. If you just said, scene one, take one. Yeah, we got we've got it. But we, so what's this scene? I oh, said so it's a two shot of them in the room. I'm like, so what's the order? Are we going to start there? Where, where are we going? Mm. <laughs> like, oh no! So that's my biggest advice. Uh, administration is a big part of filmmaking. Oh yes, you need to be able uh, to reference what you're making and when you made it. So day one, day two, take one, take two, shot whatever, just mm-hmm. something, something to reference it. Um, uh, but hey, uh, if you're really a, a, an inept, go for uh, time codes, man. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong with time codes. Can't go wrong with a time code. I've got to run near. There's my little time code. Yeah. yeah oh, man, you're popular. <laughs> I don't want to be. Night. I don't want to be popular at the moment. It's, all, it's four weeks away from filming Greystains. Oh yeah, money's on the line, bro. Money's on the line. Oh no, yeah. Well, yeah, money is on the line. But like you know, I'm. I've been. I've enjoyed. Um, chatting shooting the shit with you oh friend. absolutely man look as i said like this is a fantastic podcast thank you so much for your time yeah could i just um 
plug something quickly for Greystones? No, no, we're not about promoting anything on this show. Oh, well, screw you, man. (laughs) I'm getting out of here. No, please do. What have Um, we got to plug? Well, no, we've um, Greystones, um, you know, obviously, um, while we have the support of Screen Australia and Screen Australia has been absolutely fantastic to deal with, um, given the ambition of the project, we are looking for any support Mm -hmm. uh, we possibly can um, to help feed our crew. Yep. Um, any local businesses that want to um, get involved and um, get involved with Greystains, it'd be fantastic. If you're in the Maltese Australian community, mm. we want to hear from you. Mm. Um, you know, this is like, you know, this is a first in Australian scripted content. Totally, the Maltese yeah. Australian community, the, you know, the Maltese language mm. will be heard and subtitled on a Australian scripted drama. It's a mm. first. Yeah. Um, get behind us. Um, you know, we, you know, just as much as Greystains is the story about cultural and a generational gap, mm-hmm. um, we, um, we're considering that with our PR campaign. So we realize that there are a lot of um, older generation people in the Maltese community in Australia. Yeah. So we are using a traditional PR campaign. Uh, in addition to what's on TikTok, on Instagram, on Facebook, that the younger people will be getting onto. But we hope that um, younger people will continue that conversation mm. with um, the older generation. And that, you know, just like this, this is the story about um, a young brother and sister learning to respect and appreciate their the culture, that appreciate their family's culture. Mm. We hope the same thing will happen. On a on the um, the PR side of things. Yeah, the, I've actually got. I'll, I'll talk to you off air. You've just yeah. fired a neuron off in my brain uh, about who to contact. I've got the perfect person oh, for you. You probably know them. Maybe probably, you probably know them. Yeah, Maybe, yeah. but yeah, yeah, um, but yeah. like like seriously, not, guys, not right for on air. I'll talk to you off air. Yeah, no, no. But seriously, guys, if um, we would love to hear from you, um, contact me at Ryan Couchy Films mm-hmm. at gmail dot com. Um, yeah, we, this is going to, this is going to be a very special, exciting project and we would love to get as many people involved Great. as possible. All right. And, and, and as well, if people want to see some of these vertical films, where can if they go? If some people want to see the, um, any of the vertical films, they're all on Instagram at, um, Ryan, Ca- at Ryan Couchy Films, or if you just want to go to the TikTok, Ryan G Couchy. Ryan G Couchy. I don't know. Which fucker Ryan Couchy out there is also making films who stole the original tag? tag oh, we'll, 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 films, we'll but... talk off uh, off air about how we can eliminate that issue for you. Oh, very yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Very it's good. it's underhanded and very violent, but um, all just jokes, kids. Just just joking. We won't assassinate you, Ryan Couchy. <laughs> Not you, but the other Ryan Couchy. Yeah, yeah. Other <laughs> other Ryan. Yeah, yeah, the other Ryan. Um, but if you are there, out there, Ryan, uh, please, um, uh, um, yeah, like and subscribe. <laughs> please like and subscribe, and, and like and subscribe to the Pagey Train. It's a fantastic podcast. Yeah, thanks, man. And um, yeah, once again, thank you, thank you for being on the show. My pleasure, my absolute pleasure. And you guys have been watching the Pagey Train. You can catch us on Spotify. That's right, on Spotify, Vision on Spotify, or you can check us out on YouTube. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe. Uh, but if you are one of our avid listeners out there, you can find us on um, Apple iTunes or iHeartRadio. You guys have been watching the Pagey Train, and we'll see you next time. Woo! Woo! That was a great show, man. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, pleasure. Busting for a leak. I feel. Like, I feel like I might have been a bit tired for you today.